America, my name is Armiose Frimpong. I come to you live every Thursday. And today I'm coming, giving you a special Tuesday show because I saw the Dave Chappelle comedy special, The Closer, this weekend. And he's getting a lot of heat for being a transphobe. And, um, I, you know, he's got issues uh, with the trans community in a way that I think is actually relevant and interesting. I mean, he's... He, I think J.K.L. Rowling is a transphobe. She's the one who's thinking that, like, you know, if we let trans women go into uh, bathrooms, they'll rape um, natal women, natal girls. And, like, that's, that's transphobic because I think rapists rape people, not trans people. Trans people just transition genders. That's no big deal. Um, but if you're talking about rapists, that's a whole different thing. And why that, and so, like, Rowling, transphobe. Dave Chappelle, just a guy who is interested, right? So he says primarily that his fight is against whites. And if you don't understand how the gender fight actually is a fight against racism, then you don't really understand how gender norms emerge in order to support racism, right? So I'm going to give you a quick history of of black castration and the arguments the scientific arguments for black castration by the way there's a great book called measuring manhood by melissa stein she's a, a prof over at the university of kentucky and in the fourth chapter i'll link it and put it in the description she goes over uh the the medical the medical um argument for castrating black males because it turns out we are biologically uh, uh, driven to rape white women although that's according to the the medical consensus if you trust the science of the time and it, it's great because you got this southern white doctor by the name of mcguire and he's like look i didn't actually hear about uh the phenomenon of black, the Negro raping white women was almost unknown before the war between the states. McGuire was a Civil War doctor. He was like a, a young man in the Civil War. And then later on, he's writing in defense of castration. Um, he's like, the phenomenon of, of Negroes raping white women was unknown before the war between the states. But after the war between the states, it, it seems I read the newspapers and it's all it's everywhere. So it must be like a big deal. And an alternative explanation could be that after the Civil War with the emancipation of black men, we needed a legitimate, we as in the United States, needed a legitimate excuse to terrorize the shit out of black men. And so we needed them to be biologically determined rapists. We needed them to be rapists in order to, to institute the forms of social control that, um, you know, were we, the nation had gotten used to relative to black men. Right. So we created the black male ideology like rapist in order to um, and we had it had to be tie, biologically tied to their body. And then scientists at the time, medical scientists at the time, used that because they were the experts on the body in order to like gain for their own power play to get like of, uh, of uh, honor as like an authority on the America's race question, right? So 
they were like, no, you can't leave the race question up to mob violence when they're lynchings. That's inhumane and downright uncivilized and un-American. You leave it to the scientists who are rational, and they'll tell you that, like, well, actually, castration. And honestly, like, there's a, there's a painting here about circumcision that's, like, actually tied to... It went from being, like, a, um, a religious practice uh, characterized by the Jews to, like, a hygienic practice uh, that's not not tied to the relegation of men's sexual desire uh, lest they become rapists. So uh, you had scientists arguing for black men to be castrated, uh, circumcised and castrated as a function of trying to control their natural uh, propensity to rape white women, right? And so that, and all of that emerges magically after the war between the states after the Civil War. So as a re response to black emancipation, we cut off black men's nuts, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, the scientists lauded that as a, as a kind of humane solution rather than lynching. We'll just castrate them. Plus, it'll serve as a deterrent. When you castrate someone, when you lynch someone, it's a spectacle, but then it fades away from memory. When you castrate someone, they're a walking reminder of what happens when you tick off the wrong white person. Um, and so there was a, there's also a great quote I'm going to read from the book. Yeah, and no, make no mistake, white America likes black men without nuts. Like... <laughs> They like the nutless varieties. And let me tell you, the story of the 20th century is the story of liberalizing anti-black practices. So things that used to be done through external compulsion, like slavery or whatever, um, now get liberalized and we start talking about debt peonage. And then we start talking about other kinds of schemes through which people voluntarily sign up for their own degradation. Voluntarily, but they're coerced by external circumstances. Um, um, and are groomed to sign up for their own degradation. So we go, and it's not an accident, I think, that we go from a society that argues loudly and scientifically to um, uh, castrate black men to a society that, you know, where progressive politics and good politics argues loudly to support black men cutting off their own nuts. This, both arguments end with nutless black men in a way that's suspicious and, I, and, and, and asymmetrical because in the trans community, like, it's not 50-50 trans men and trans women. There are more trans women than trans men. So like, if this is symmetrical, like, this wouldn't be so much of an issue, but why is there an asymmetry? You need to account for the asymmetry of people, of black males, going to being trans, trans women. So, I don't know. A lot of people gain their relevance off of, of castrating black men, and I worry that this might include also black men, right? So, or black males. So, um, in the book, uh, it was a two, page 238, as historian Grace Elizabeth Hale notes, white women often directed the very rituals by which 
uh, white men recaptured their own masculinity through the castration of black males. If you didn't know, the black, black male castration was part of the whole lynching ritual. It was like we castrate them. Sometimes we make them eat their own balls and nuts. Sometimes we save the nuts and pickle them. And then we lynch them. Like it was all part of the same thing, right? The same ritual. So white women often directed the very rituals by which white men recaptured their own masculinity through the castration of black males. After all, the black male's uh, supersexual image was often the result of their testimony, the white women's testimony. Some women were even given the honor of delivering the fatal final blow. Um, so what you have is a lot of people gaining their relevance as women, as men, White men gain their masculinity by cast, uh, castrating black men. Um, a lot of people gain their relevance as women, men, by castrating black men. And I'm worried that no small number of black men gain their relevance now by castrating themselves. Now, what we could do this metaphorically to kind of ease the blow. You all know black men who, when in a room, can only keep their job by pretending not to be black men. <laughs> Depending on who you talk to, the biggest job in America is for black men is not being black men and performing not being black men. Now, I'm a black man pretty much all the time. And if you support me being a black man all the time, I'm going to need you to go over to www funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, $15, for me giving you the quality of wisdom uh, to help you not squander your life and make sense of your current struggle. Um, but there are no small number of black men, especially ones over like 6'3", who have to like make themselves less black men in order to not be a, a threat. And any sort of threat can be rendered a sexual threat. So... Like, I've just been in too many rooms with, like, full-size black men who make themselves small in order to not be seen as threatening. Whereas, like, white guys can be like Trump. Right? So the, this whole idea, this, this idea that black men don't have to castrate themselves in order to be relevant is both metaphorically and figuratively untrue and might actually be literally untrue. Right, because um, a lot of people get their get their relevance by the castration of black men, including no small number of elementary school teachers and cops. So uh, that that's figuratively, literally, and literally, the scientific community. Because in the book, like I said, chapter four of measuring uh, manhood, she goes over all of the the the, the medical consensus of all the the scientific racists who were trying to like get the authority of science to, lev to leverage the castration of black men um, as a means to grant the authority for like the scientific discipline, right? So scientists wanted to be relevant by arguing for the castration of black men. White men wanted to be relevant by castrating black men White women wanted to be relevant by directing the castration of black men and apparently sometimes giving the final blow. And sometimes black men in a nation that black males in a nation in which like black males are pretty much disposable have to be relevant by castrating themselves. And so that's the dynamic at play um, 
So we can try to talk about gender as, as, a, as a kind of emancipated from race and class um, concerns, but that's garbage. It's garbage because if you understand anything about, if you understand enough about white supremacy, you understand that's kind of a colonial ideology that uses gender in kind of differentiated ways in order to sustain itself. White men and white women are different from each other. <laughs> so um, if you want to actually go at white people, you have to address them in their difference. And this is what I think Dave Chappelle is very good at. Dave Chappelle, even Bill Burr to an extent, is very good at is like if you if you just want to like go at white people white folks that's an abstract identity there are no white folks there are white men and there are white women who operate in whiteness in distinct ways right and so if you actually wanted like dismantle whiteness and white supremacy you have to go at the gendered ways that whiteness is realized blackness is a little bit of a different um uh, uh, beast because for the most part, I mean, there are, there are reasons for this, but black people aren't gendered in the same way, thankfully, because you look at white gender relations and they're a disaster. By the way, do you know that I didn't know this until, you know, you're around enough white people and you learn things. White guys always drive. Like, it, so in my household, when I grew up as a young black man in Los Angeles, sometimes my mom drove, sometimes my dad drove, like it just didn't, like it was never really a thing. Uh, but apparently in white families and white gendering, it's um, a whole thing where like white guys drive. Because apparently, I don't know, they date white women who are too dumb to drive or like can't be trusted with the big, their lady brains can't be trusted with the big car. But like if, there's a weird kind of there's a weird kind of gendering of responsibility and and power just in that thing that is not true of working class black households. It is true. It might be true of like black households where people aspire to be white <laughs> or bourgeois, but it is true of white like um, uh, dynamics. It's not. It, it's. It's true of black uh, dynamics who aspire to be white, but it's not true of like working class black people. It's just not a thing. They draw their gender identity other places, not in who's driving. I remember the first time someone threw me the, uh, threw, uh, I was dating someone who threw me the, the keys to her car. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is your car. Why would I want to drive your car? Are you sick? Um, but it's a, it's a, People think it's a gender thing. No, it's a white thing. And you got to understand that um, a lot of the things we consider gender things are actually white things that emerged in order to control black people, right? So, um, yeah. So, I, so that's, that segues from the why people would want to distance themselves from the threat of being in a black male body. You do that by cutting off your own nuts or making yourself small in a room or making your voice a little bit higher or, or like, you know, it's a tax performing not rapist. It's a whole identity that you have to always perform and it's a tax because white America needs you to be a rapist for like any of their laws to make sense. For America to make sense, black people have to, black men have to be disposed to rape. 
um, if because without that, then we have to actually deal with the justice issues that we've heaped up with all the violence. And then we have to actually talk about the violence in black communities because there is violence in black communities because there's violence put on and degradation heaped upon black communities. And it like and like it just keeps it includes violence, right? So like if if you heap on degradation in black communities, it's gonna be violence in black communities, that violence is going to be in the street, it's also gonna be in the home, it's also gonna be in the bedroom because like it's going to be a community that like of state governed violence, right? If you want less violence in the black community, you need a state that doesn't require or doesn't enforce so much violence. You need a labor economy that doesn't exploit, doesn't like uh, include so much exploitation. You need uh, a political economy in general that doesn't have so much violence for black people outside of the home and actually like empowers black people outside of the home and inside of the home. And then there will just be less violence. We think of intimate partner violence as like some sort of special kind of violence when in black communities and poor communities um, like worldwide, you know, there's a, a trans woman by the name of uh, uh, Connell in Australia who's like, you know, the violence in intimate partner violence in poor and working class Australian households and the intimate partner violence in upper class Australian households is completely different. Um, so, and then in Europe, they're starting to do uh, studies about like working class violence just being uh, intimate partner violence just being an expression of like just the violence of working class lives, right? So if you want to get rid of black violence in the side of the house, you have to just get rid of black violence. You don't just punish men. <laughs> you have to like think about all of the ways in which all of the ex uh, like exploitative and extractive policies are kind of like heaped upon black bodies and not be surprised when it also includes that that violence also includes like intimate partner violence and not be surprised when it's bi-directional right so instead we just want to cut off black men's nuts we want to keep exploiting them keep degrading them and keep construing them as threats but we'll cut off their nuts or induce them because we're liberals in the 20th century champion them for cutting off their own nuts so that's going to be a problem. And I think that's, I think that's just something we have to have. A, if there weren't an asymmetry in trans women to trans men in the black community, then like this wouldn't be an issue. Um, but there is, so it is. And we have to actually think about like what is governing this asymmetry. And that's not transphobia. That's like what can account for the asymmetry? What can account for the asymmetry? between people transitioning one way and the other. And there's going, I think, I suspect, but you know, I suspect it's going to be the ways in which, you know, black men make themselves um, less threatening, like in life. And that is an unfortunate thing in quite a few ways and are pretty much disposable, <laughs> are pretty much disposable and so like this renders them less disposable because you know, women aren't as disposable. We care for women, right? Right, um, especially ladies. And so like, let's transfer from like what people might be running away from in the castration and go to what they're running to, 
which is womanhood. And if we understand womanhood as white, which we should, and people will get on me, they'll say all sorts of things probably in the comments about like, no, womanhood's universal. No, colonial womanhood is overdetermined by like what we need for settler colonialism and racial control. There's very little that black women and white women have in common unless they're trying to be white women. Right? Um, like, like I talk about the 1918, maybe I have the, the clip here, the 1918 article in the, I don't have the clip here, in the Greenville, oh, I do. Yeah, good for me. Here we go. This came out in 1918 in Greenville, South Carolina, when Negro women were to be put to work. Because as women, black women needed to work outside of the house to clean white women's houses. And white women, as women, weren't really allowed or expected to work outside of their houses. So like there you have two people who are both women, but one was expected to work outside of the house, and the other, as a woman, one was, as a woman, was expected to work outside of the house, and the other, as a woman, was expected to stay home and not work outside of the house. So this idea that black women and white women have the same kind of live, live into the same sort of social and political reality is ridiculous. Black women have always worked. White women work sometimes. And if it's uh, on the, on, like they don't work for money, they work for you know passion and dignity. Black women have always had to work for money because black men have been employed sometimes, <laughs> occasionally. They, they're, they're, employed, they're employed when they're employed and not when they're not. So black women have always had to work. Um, and so this idea that there's a universal gender is ridiculous and irresponsible. And uh, the same with, uh, there's a, a guy by the name of Liftfoot who's arguing that like black, black men aren't even men. He's a, he's a white southerner. He's like, black, women, black, black men aren't men. Um, you have to know that, right? They're, they might be males, but they're not men. Men are white. So if you don't understand that gender ideology is a racial aspiration and a class marker, you don't understand, you don't understand why white people, why people, why upper class people, why middle class, upper class people, why aspiring people, they all take gender very seriously because it's a class marker. It's also garbage. And their gender ideology is anti-working class and anti-black. Right? So that you have these people who take gender very seriously. They want to live into their gender roles. And when they want to live into their gender roles, that's a form of distancing yourself from the black situation, black poverty, which is genderless right? in an important way. Right? So be very suspicious of organizations that take their gender roles seriously. I expect you to treat them like gentlemen or ladies like ladies because that's a class aspiration that's fundamentally anti-black. So when I look at people who want, who aspire, and I've just run into, I've, I run into too many actually kind of conservative black trans women who actually want to live into white womanhood or what they consider womanhood, which is classed as white. A lot of, uh, the, there's some studies that say that actually black women are more conservative, especially black women who take womanhood seriously are actually more conservative because they want to live into womanhood, but they don't understand that that is a colonial ideology that's classed white. 
Um, so like anybody who's taking either manhood too seriously or womanhood seriously is actually trying to live into a form of whitehood, which is not particularly great for racial or um, labor or honestly gender justice, right? So if you're talking about manhood, if you're talking about womanhood and you're aspiring to manhood and you're aspiring to womanhood, you might be aspiring to whitehood, which depending on who you talk to, like is a, is a rational aspiration insofar as, you know, black life isn't great and it's kind of stressful, but it might not be, it's not something that's particularly just or legitimate or something we should like actually promote in the same way. So we have to figure out what's going on and we have to stop pretending that gender is fundamental. Um, it's not. In terms of like social uh, antagonism, it's not men versus women, it's, it's racial. And then race conforms gender. So your racial ideologies are what they are in order to support. Um, and much of your Christian ideologies are what they are in order to support a quality of racial hierarchy that might not be great for justice. Right, so we conform gender, we, we conform religion, we conform what we think of our family, we conform what we think of our jobs, all to support a racial hierarchy. So we need to take apart all of these kinds of institutions rather than just try to like mix and match and get like more women to be CEOs and more black guys to be trans. Like we have to be women. So instead of trying to mix and match, we need to actually reconstitute. I'm not a gender abolitionist because I think sex differences are important insofar as like, you know, females birth people and that's and secrete milk in ways that males don't. And there might be enough sexual dimorphism to account for different leagues of uh, in sports, and so like you need the, you need to acknowledge sex differences, and then gender is the cultural overlay through which we acknowledge sex differences. But our gender ideologies aren't just that. Insofar as they were just that, they're fine. Um, and I, you know, I think that trans women should be able to go to the right ba the bathrooms and be called the, the pronouns of their choice and all that. That's not the issue. The issue is when they want to be treated like ladies. <laughs> because I don't think anybody should be treated like ladies. Just like I don't think anybody should be treated like gentlemen. Um, because part of what it is to be a lady and part of what it is to be a gentleman is like crap, is to like inhabit a certain kind of crappy class and race politics. Right, so like you want to be treated like a woman, fine. You want to be treated like a man, fine. You want to be treated like a lady, no, because that's going to be a problem. Because that's a division of risk and responsibility. That a gender division of risk and responsibility. That's I'm not exactly cool with. You're gonna have to drive. Or unless if like, right. Um, and that's and same with gentlemen, because people if if this quote is right, gentlemen got their gentlemanliness by castrating black men. They affirm themselves as gentlemen. A white guy doesn't feel any more like a white guy than when he is castrating a black guy for in defense of a white woman. Right? So um, that's going to be a problem. Hey, uh, thank you for your time.
check out the chapter. Check out the chapter of Melissa Stein's book that's in the description. It's fantastic. And understand that if you're going to go after the whites, you got to go after them in their gendered specificity. You can't just go after the whites in general because the whites in general, are, it's too abstract of an identity. There are white men and there are white women. And I guess there are now they're trans that hop one from one to the other. But the problem is like these are differentiated organs that functionally work together uh, in order to uh, take out white supremacy. So if you think, just think about you can take out white supremacy by just taking out white folks, you're probably thinking about guys like Trump, not women like Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Gloria Steinem. And the truth is, if you don't take out the Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the Gloria Steinem, it doesn't matter if you take out the guys like Trump. Right? And the tools you need in order to take out guys like Trump aren't going to work for, you need to develop a different set of tools to take out white womanhood. Um, and so we need to actually figure out the perks of white womanhood, because there's no small amount of perks that go into white womanhood, which is why they sustain the racial hierarchy. And understand those tools to take out white womanhood are going to be different from the tools to take out white manhood, but you have to do them both if you're serious about taking out white supremacy, because they function as a unit. Um, and, you know, it's funny, on the left, I'll just end with this. On the left, it's, people are under, they don't understand why it's so hard to liberalize the largest race and gender demographic, or not liberalize, radicalize uh, the largest race and gender demographic in the United States, which is white women. Like, white women vote. They're the largest demographic. America is the country it is because white women vote the way they vote. Like, we have the politics we have because white, this is the politics white women want. Right? So how do you um, radicalize them? Well, you have to understand that you can liberalize them with like abortion politics, but liberalizing them and radicalizing them is two different things, right? Abortion politics won't get you better labor or racial justice. Abortion politics won't get you reparation. Abortion politics won't get you, you can liberalize that demographic, but it won't get you um, uh, uh, what you need for racial justice. Unless you think that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a racial and labor justice warrior, or Gloria Steinem, the CIA spook, has something to say about racial and labor justice that's actually meaningful. Um, so why won't they be radicalized? Because America treats them actually pretty well. And that could also explain why so many black males transition over. Right? If this, if this was symmetrical, uh, this wouldn't be an issue. But it's asymmetrical because people are trying, one, to avoid the wages of black maleness, but also to get a piece of uh, you know, womanhood, which isn't the worst thing in the world, um, and the relevance that comes with it, as opposed to the disposability of black, black males who are just, just kind of disposable. All right, thank you for your time. If you like what I do, go over to funkyacademic.com, kick in 515 or $50, and I will see you on Thursday.